0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Community is Our Middle Name podcast, proudly brought to you by Grampons Community Health. My name is Gareth Oliver. Awesome to be with you for another week and to bring you another show. This week, with Hepatitis Awareness Day happening uh, on the 28th, I had a chat with Jules Cassidy, who, as you'll hear in the podcast, is a resident of uh, a little town called Witchy Proof up there in the Mallee, which I don't know if I've ever been to, maybe when I was a kid. I don't, know, I don't remember if I have. Um, Jules has lived with hepatitis for a number of years uh, Was former intravenous drug user And was kind enough to come on and have a chat about her story and her journey And living with hepatitis over all those years So it's an amazing, amazing story I absolutely loved listening back to this one um, And I just hope you can get as much out of it as what I did So here it is, I'm talking with Jules Cassidy, and this is the Community Is Our Middle Name Podcast, proudly brought to you by Grandpids Community Health for you, your family, and our community. I'm joined by Jules Cassidy this week, and Jules is a resident of the Mallee, and Jules is here to talk a bit about her experience of living with hepatitis. Jules, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Thanks, Gareth. It's lovely to be
0: here. <laughs> Jules and I have had a few discussions. Um, we've, we've gone back and forth having a bit of chat about this. It is Hepatitis, uh, World Hepatitis Awareness Day uh, occurring this week. Jules, how long have you lived with hepatitis?
1: It's an unknown sort of date, but probably a period in the early 80s where I actually became hep C positive and hep B positive, so both viral hepatitises. And because I was young, I was an intravenous drug user, and I was for many years, but that was when I commenced using. I was young, reasonably healthy, and I wasn't impacted by either virus for a significant amount of time and I didn't even know I'd had hepatitis B until I discovered I had the antibodies Um, I had successfully cleared it who knows there are so many variables why some people just clear it and some people don't I had cleared it and I was very fortunate to clear it my partner became very very ill and obviously we shared a life together and so, once again, who knows why someone goes on to become ill and others don 't so I discovered that like like I said, through I was looking to become immunized against hep b for for work scenario and discovered i 'd actually had it, so therefore i wasn 't um, in the position that I would pass it on i wasn 't infectious. Hepatitis C, until 1989, it was known as non-A, non non-B. In 1989, it was it was shown to be an illness in its own. And both Hep B and Hep C are infectious diseases that attack your liver. At that time, the most common treatments were interferon and ribavirin. I didn't look at treatments at that stage because I hadn't as yet become impacted by hepatitis C. That sort of came later as I grew older and I ended up having, like, it's going to sound outrageous and it really was when I discovered a very, very high viral load in the million. But really that was quite low compared to some of my friends. So I discovered it. I I actually had it when I was working in a needle and syringe program and yeah we were doing some education about hep C and bizarrely none of the workers there who were all peer-based workers including myself thought we'd have it and of course we all had it. Most of us weren't looking at treatment at that stage and interferon and ribovirum were very rugged treatments for the person who was undergoing it but also for that person's family and friends because it really impacted well it really could impact your mental health your ability to work your physicality exhaustion and quite often people undertook the treatment and it could be anything up to a year and the initial results could come back as negative and then the virus would reoccur Uh, I don't know the Medical reasons for that, but that was quite common. And yeah, the treatment was hellish. And there was the low rate of clearance as well. So, because both Hep B and Hep C can attack your liver, can cause cirrhosis, which can lead to death, it was some of the outcomes of not being able to treat hepatitis C and consequential liver disease were liver transplants and that was worst case scenario well death was worst case scenario obviously <laughs> so but even though people could have liver transplants that wasn't always successful either and to actually get a liver transplant as most people would know it's very difficult you know there are certain marks you have to hit uh generally it was only considered for people who were no longer intravenous drug users, who had a reasonably stable lifestyle. And that, at that time, was very much very much underpinned treatment as well. Practitioners who were overseeing your treatment much preferred you not to be drinking alcohol, which was seen as exacerbating hep, um, for both hep C and hep B. And they their preference for you, was for you to have stable accommodation, et cetera, et cetera, and to no longer be living a chaotic lifestyle such as what intravenous drug use can often
0: entail. There wouldn't be much chaotic up in Witchy Proof, I wouldn't imagine. Um...
1: No, there isn't in Witchy, but <laughs> yeah. There was in my previous, I'm no longer an intravenous drug user, but I was for many, many years. And it was your need to access drugs. It's not a rational thought process. It's just you need it so you don't become sick and, you know, for pleasure obviously as well. So until you could access clean syringes and and safe injecting equipment through so groundbreaking responses such as um harm reduction, people were obviously sharing syringes because there was no other way, if you were an intravenous drug user, to access them. So um there lay the chaos and the high transmission rates. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So when when you first got that diagnosis, what what were you, what was your thoughts then?
1: Uh, I was ignorant and I was young, foolhardy, and at that period I had entered into a time of, you know, <laughs> a reasonably short time, but of not using drugs. So I was thinking, oh, well, that's going to keep me in, you know, able to sort of address any impacts. But it, as I said earlier, it didn't impact me until later on in that period when I was in a stressful job regardless of using drugs it still progressed so my understanding it and I worked in a job where it was a you know a component of that job to be savvy around hep C, hep B, HIV it's you know, it was sort of it was a variable of my life, but it was not something I focused on.
0: Now you, you said that back in the eighties it was when you when you found out. Um and I'm not gonna give your age away on the podcast, Jules, because that would be very rare. I don't mind
1: saying that. I'm sixty two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a survivor. <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, go well, ahead. <laughs> no, 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 that's that's fine. If you're happy to announce it, that's that's awesome. Yeah, um, I sure am. <laughs> I mean, at one point you probably were thinking, would you make it to 62, I guess, but how has it affected you now as a person, you know, a, a bit older in life?
1: I think because primarily in Australia, a lot of people um became hep C positive through intravenous drug use. Initially, when I found out in the early 90s, very frightened due to discrimination and lack of understanding about the virus and obviously the emphasis on people, like I said, primarily being intravenous drug use. I was, I was afraid. I was afraid for my family. I was afraid for partners and they were afraid too. You know, it went in reverse and there was discrimination. I was very, very lucky to be reasonably proactive and challenge shame but I had a lot of support and I think if people don't have support and didn't have support in those early years it could be terrifying and I remember working in a project in another state I won't name the state where discrimination was rife and one of the components of my job was to outreach people because they wouldn't come into the service. They were so scared as being identified as having Hep C or HIV. And that, therefore, really impacted their life and how they saw themselves. Discrimination was rife in the early 90s. And just as a very quick uh, story, I remember I was working with in a particular job which was not focused on harm reduction or, as my later work was, and I remember a sort of very sensationalist uh, newspaper, if you could call it that, in Melbourne um, sort of started promoting, for instance, stories of footballers that were playing, you know, contact sports um, that were hep C positive, and they demonised people. And at that stage people may because they didn't start testing for a considerable amount of time in blood products like hep C um came a lot later to the party than hep B started being checked in you know blood products in the early 70s so People had no idea how you became hep C positive, but they put you into the category you'd got it through intravenous drug use, whereas you could have got it through tattooing, you could have got it through, you know, using someone's toothbrush, you know, where there was blood to blood stuff. It's very, very rare, to very rare to get hepatitis C through sex, However, Hep B, there's a higher risk. And with Hep B, you can be immunized. With Hep C, you can't yeah. as, as far as we, where we are at this stage. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you and I have had, had a few conversations before we've done this podcast. And, um, one of the things that I was told as a young, young person working in the disability field was it had to be something we had to be very wary of. Um, especially like said the hep- hepatitis B stuff because of the unfortunate you know, consequences of there being sexual assaults that happened to some of the people who may have been living in the asylums, for lack of a better term. And, yeah, that, that demonisation was, was definitely a, a thing and it was, it was something that you were made to feel quite scared of. But there are treatments available for some of the uh, hepatitis strains there, aren't there?
1: I, yes, just to respond to that too, in in relation to Hep B in um circumstances where people were living with disabilities there was also immunizations and this occurred in australia and overseas countries a lot where you know they would use the same needle over and over again so hep b especially in those situations was really passed around since 2016 we had a fantastic i'm not going to mention What um, side of the fence the government was, it was just an extraordinary breakthrough in terms of um, the impact of Hep C on your liver. So that it was a harm reduction model, and it was was a health response, as were um, models such as needle and syringe programs. It became uh, a response to a health issue rather than a moral issue, and. Thus, treatments became available. Depending on your genotype, you're treated with a specific drug and they're very, very successful with very to no side effects. I cleared hep C in a very short period, perhaps two months plus, but maybe less. They were very easy to access. Initially it was a bit more difficult, but in your region, I'm sure you can get referrals in in Horsham especially, or you can access treatments through um, specialists in Melbourne, which is where I initially sought treatment, and I had the medication sent to me in my town. So there are lots of alternatives how to access. And generally there's less investigating of what, aside from what genotype you've um, got, so how to treat you specifically for that. There's less scans, you know, like the scans used to be liver biopsies, which were very painful, fibrous scans, blood tests, et cetera, et cetera. There, there's less of that with the new meds you generally have some very basic tests and it's miraculous and as I've said to you in our previous talks it actually makes me very emotional because I cleared it you know rapidly and as I think I'd said to you previously too Gareth I was working in Horsham and I walked into my workplace and I'd been Looked grey for 30 years. I'd looked terrible, but I didn't recognise how terrible I looked. And a co worker who had no idea I had FC said, What's changed with you? um You look really different. And it was gobsmacking because I didn't realise A, how ill I looked, and B, how the drugs had transformed me almost immediately. And I think once again, I told you this story. I was driving home from Horsham and I had this incredible experience of once again having energy. And I don't know how I can explain that. I'd been so damn tired for such a long time and I didn't know it. I didn't know the level and all of a sudden I wasn't. And it's an extraordinary feeling. And it was, it would be very much what i would encourage people to if possible to at least look into seeking treatment because it's um life-changing
0: yeah and i think if most people go and talk to their gps they'd be able to to give them a hand with that sort of stuff wouldn't they
1: they absolutely would and the medical profession has come leaps and bounds so discrimination which used to be rife amongst Medicos, even though they were reasonably sophisticated, there was the judgment stuff too. How did you become positive? Ra and that's really changed. And essentially, medical practitioners, those who work in harm reduction, are just amazing these days. Um, because I think seeking treatment, it should be encouraged, but also it should be looked as as once again, health issue, not
0: a moral issue. I agree with you. That's, um, you know, we, we need to, as a society, start putting our judgments to the side when, it's, when it comes to things like, like this, because it is people's health. And and as you said, there are people who can contract hepatitis. Jules, how did, how did you find when you moved to regional Victoria, people, when they found out, was there still that level of discrimination? Were people a little bit distant towards you? Well, when I moved from Sydney to the country
1: town I live in, Wichy it was already known for various reasons that I was moving to town and I had been a long-term intravenous drug user. So there was shame involved with that because I was in my early 50s and I thought, you know, I know there were stereotypes applied and I just had to go with it. You know, um, it challenges your self-confidence and it challenges your perception, your self-perception, but also how you fear people will judge you. And a lot of my experience of discrimination, in fact, was my own self-discrimination. I was very much afraid of being put in a box but the other side of me is I'm pretty feisty and I thought, you know, I was an intravenous drug user for a long time. That's part of my life. It's not all of who I am. And I would apply that to anyone who is an uh, intravenous drug user in the past or currently one. It's an element of one's life. And so I've been quite open. I've done publications. I was a lived, experience speaker for a lot of years. and. I've been supported. I'm lucky, Gareth. I've had that support and I'm proud of what I've done in terms of addressing hep C publicly. So it's not a constant, but I really don't give a damn anymore. I just sort of think it is what it is. I am who I am and I'm very lucky to be in that position in a small town and, yeah, that's how it is.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'm that very ed- lucky. That education is so vital, I th- I think. And you, you have done that a lot of that that peer work and I don't know if you want to talk about it, but you were recognized with the Mark Farmer Award for your for your work in the the hepatitis field. Can you explain what the, the Mark Farmer Award is and um just how you felt to get that recognition? Now you're
1: gonna make me be coy, Gareth. Um <laughs> <laughs> I received it last year and I was in total shock because I don't think I've done anything, you know, remotely profound. I've always been reasonably proactive in relation to my work. I've worked as a peer-based educator and also, you know, as an unpaid peer-based presentator, for want of a better word, sharing my experience. So it was recognition of that And it was a huge honour because some, some extraordinary people had received it before me and that was incredibly moving. And as I've said to you, Gareth, I did a shocking YouTube, um, acceptance speech, one of the, and it's still out there. I can't believe it. It was hideous, but have to go with it. And, you know, uh, previous people who'd been honoured with it, um, with some of my, fantastic colleagues you know people who shared their stories and the one that really topped it off for me was uh uncle jack charles had received it and so i was very very moved very very honored and blown away very surprised um i think i told you i got the email saying it and i read it over and i read it over thinking they're referring to someone else and then realized it was me (laughs) So yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And
0: um well deserved. And can I just say I have watched that YouTube video and uh, I think you're a bit harsh on yourself. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not that bad. Um and, <laughs> and I think we- it
1: is. <laughs> um I was I was, as you know, I get very anxious and I was prepared, but I hadn't slept the night before because I was so anxious. And it was had to be done on the hop and I didn't have my iPad at that time, so it was like me holding my phone up going rah, 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 And, yeah, I didn't have an opportunity to redo it and I'm not sure I could have done any better either. But even if I had, just one aspect uh, I would like to, if it's okay, to refer to one of the components of my choosing not to access treatment when it was ribavirin, interferon, was my mental health. I've been diagnosed with bipolar, and one of the components, as I might have mentioned previously, is the impact on one's was the impact on one's uh, mental health. And they, even if I'd really wanted to push for it, they wouldn't have allowed me to access treatment because it exacerbates mental health diagnosis and and lifestyle, and it increased thoughts of suicide. So there was that um, duty of care to not actually allow me to take the treatment at that time. And I just wanted to emphasise there is virtually no impact on mental health with the new treatments. So if you're living with any diagnosis of mental health, it's not going to impact that component of your life. And that's that's an extraordinary element of seeking treatment because A, you didn't used to have access and B, if it impacted what was already occurred Uh, precarious mental health situation i mean who wanted that you know so that's another incredible component of the virtually no side effects from new treatment
0: that's fantastic and it, it makes it that much easier for people who might need help to go and get that help and get those treatments that they need without having to worry about any of the any of the adverse side effects that that there was you know 30 40 years ago jules just before we, we wrap up this podcast, uh, and I really appreciate you coming on and having a chat. I know it's not easy for you to, to do these sort of things, and so I really do appreciate you giving up some time to do it. Is there any final messages that you'd like to get out to anybody out there who may be living with hepatitis or who maybe isn't sure about going and, and seeking treatment um, or, or just any final messages to the general public about not to be scared of people with hepatitis?
1: I think that's everyone's own journey in terms of, of a it's about getting support uh there are great there's a great organization in victoria that covers the whole state called liverwell and they've got a great website they've got a 1-800 or 1-300 number you can ring and they've got a hell of a lot of information and some extraordinary people who work there and you've got your own services in your region great services and i think it's about It can be about being proactive, um, but can also be about very much being supported by the services you've got in your area that make it easier for you to decide to take, or even if you don't take, get into treatment, if you choose not to rather, I think it makes it easier for you maybe to think as a treatment as an option. And for me, um, having worked in the sector of harm reduction as well as doing other work, you know, paid, unpaid work, is that we're incredibly lucky in Australia to be able, I mean, I know there's a hell of a lot of hideous issues that impact people in Australia. There's no denial of that. But in this one sense, we're incredibly lucky because you look at other countries where America, um, for instance, where you have to pay a huge amount of money to access it, or other countries where you can't access it anyhow because it's not available, or the old treatments are in place. So I feel that, and this isn't rah rah Australia. This is just God, we're lucky, you know, we're lucky to have choices. We're lucky to have choices in relation to Hep C
0: treatment. Absolutely, and I think sometimes we all at at times lose a bit bit of sight about just how lucky we are to be to be born here Jules I really appreciate you coming on the podcast thank you so much for giving up a bit of your time to talk about uh living with hepatitis
1: thanks so
0: much Gareth you take care there you go there's Jules telling her story. And thank you once again, Jules. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure to get to know Jules. One of the beautiful things that I get uh, from doing this this job and from doing this podcast for GCH is I get to meet some fantastic people uh, and have some really great conversations with people. And I must admit, I really enjoy having a chat with Jules. She's a lot of fun. Um, and what a story, uh, 40 years or so of uh, hepatitis and still going strong, age 62. And Jules did also want me to make mention of the support and the, the wonderful community that she does have up there in Witchy Proof, which is really, really cool to hear. So Jules, I know that it's uh, not always easy for you to, to do these sort of things. So thank you so, so much. And uh, I think a worthy Mark Farmer award winner last year. I don't care what the YouTube video is like. I actually thought it was was really good. So well done, Jules, for coming on the podcast, and we really appreciate you giving up some time. This is The Community Is Our Middle Name podcast, and it's brought to you by Grampians Community Health. Grampians Community Health offers a wide range of services across Western Victoria, servicing the following local government areas. Northern Grampians Shire, Ararat Rural City, Horsham Rural City, West Wimmera Shire, Hindmarsh Shire, Yarriambiack Shire, Buloke Shire, Southern Grampians Shire, Pyrenees Shire and Central Goldfields Shire. Services available from Greenpeace Community Health include alcohol and other drug support, carer support, family violence support, gambler's help, aged care and NDIS support, including NDIS support coordination and plan management, mental health services and counselling across a wide range of sectors, including generalist counselling, and so much more. There's so much... That, uh, that we do and so many services that we give to our local communities, which is a great thing for everyone in this part of the world. To find out more information about what services we have and uh, hey, find out if you'd like to be part of the, the GCH team, go to our website, gch.org.au, or give us a call Monday to Friday in business hours, 5358 7400, or visit us in person in one of our sites, our major sites, Install in Ararat and in Horsham. We're also on social media, so facebook.com slash Grampians Community Health, or just look for Grampians Community Health on there and you will find us. And we are on Twitter and Instagram as well. And our handle on both of those is at GCH Grampians. This podcast is available everywhere. Good podcasts are found, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Podbean. Anywhere you find your podcast, all the regular spots, you'll find this podcast. And if you are a listener on Apple Podcasts, or if you'd like to leave a review, that would be really good. Helps people find the show. And look, if you want to share any links to any of the shows on your socials, you absolutely can. So whatever podcasting app you use, I would recommend if you like this show to subscribe and never, ever miss an episode and go back and listen to the previous ones as well. The intro and outro music for this show is an original composition performed by Andrew Parsons and we use that with his permission he made that especially for us which is really really nice so thank you Andrew and this podcast was recorded and produced on the traditional lands of the Jabberwung people and we'd like to pay our respects to all elders past present and emerging that's another podcast for another week I hope you enjoyed hearing about it and um, Hepatitis. World Hepatitis Awareness Day, of course, was happening this week, so perfect timing to have Jules on the show. My name is Gareth Oliver. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you'll be back for another episode with us very, very shortly. So, until then, I will say so long from uh, from me and from everyone here at Grampians Community Health, because we are, of course, here for you, your family, and this is the most important bit for all of our communities. So long.